we've started a bit of a new series on Sunday nights, and for a few weeks we want to continue on looking at what on earth is going on. I sort of stole this a little bit from Dr. Reynolds Showers in his, from his book uh, entitled, What on Earth is God Doing? And as, uh, as the years have passed, his book was, uh, his first edition was in 1973. He came here in 1995, so we have uh, many years ago, he was uh, giving, uh, giving warning about uh, how God and Satan uh, are working here on earth in the conflict. There's a, a, a conflict going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we discussed that a little bit and that God has given us fair warning about that. He warned us in the last days or in the latter times. Men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That's talking about uh, the, the world in general. The, uh, I mean, the, the church, that's a reference to the church, uh, that they'll depart from the faith, the faith of the word of God, and give heed. And then there's another warning there that men and seducers will wax worse and worse. That's outside of the church, uh, and, and of course, co-mingling with the church. And then there's a uh, another warning about atheism coming uh, in the last days. People say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they have from the beginning. So we have been given fair warning. And as the generations have continued on, as men and, uh, and seducers have waxed worse and worse, uh, we've come to the day in which we live. So there shouldn't be a great surprise for what we see going on round about us. We shouldn't be shocked by it, nor do we need to be influenced by it. We've, we saw several passages of scripture together uh, that God has given us power. God has given us the ability. Uh, we, have been, uh, we have been removed from this kingdom of darkness and been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We did, need not feel, fall prey. And though Satan is active in the world, and the world is following his way, he's the prince of this world, you and I have been given uh, the blessed spirit of God, God himself dwelling in us, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when we began looking at this, we said God was not shocked by this. This God, of course, is uh, omniscient, all-knowing, nothing, nothing with God uh, catches him by surprise. Right from the very beginning of creation, God knew the final outcome of everything. Remember, he knows the end from uh, the beginning. So we looked a little bit about God's creation, and we saw that he created everything perfect. Sun, moon, and stars, earth, planet earth, animals, men, everything on it, including what we know to be those invisible creatures known as angels, angelic beings. We said that uh, there is the invisible and the visible that goes along with that. Among the invisible, his servants were these, uh, these creatures, angelic beings, his servants. Angels were spirit beings. They did not possess bodies. They do not possess bodies uh, of flesh and bone. They possess apparently some kind of spiritual body as you look at them down through the scriptures. We also said that they were created with intellect, uh, communication, intellect, we would say emotion and will. That is, they have a choice. 
They had a choice to uh, continue to worship God or chose to rebel against God. We said among the angels, there were different characters of angels, uh, cherubim, seraphim. There's angels with two wings, four wings, as some mentioned with no wings. We do not know exactly all of the angels, but we know there was a great uh, multitude of angels. We would say zillions of them. Uh, and we know not exactly how many. The, the Bible mentions that, an innumerable company of his angels. But we know among the highest ranking of angels, God and his creation created a, one of the angels, and we know him to be Lucifer, son of the morning, or the devil, the scriptures say, after his fall. And uh, Satan wanted to be like the Most High God. Now, we, we looked at this, so we won't go back there, but I think, uh, particularly in Ezekiel chapter 28, God talks about this person, Satan. Now, when he talks about Satan, he references him as the king of Tyre and, uh, in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and then the king of Babylon. And I believe that is specifically in... Um, the king of Tyre is Ezekiel, and I believe the king of Babylon is Isaiah. But at any rate, uh, he's talking about a man, but in, in, a, in a very true sense, he's talking about the power behind that man, which appears to be satanic in, in its nature. He talks about the fall of this, this created being, um, Satan, who was an anointed cherub, the, one of the highest rankings of the uh, angelic beings. Remember, it was cherubim who God chose to be the honor God for God. They are the ones who went into uh, Solomon's temple and removed the Shekinah glory and brought it out from the temple to the Mount of Olives and then I believe right later on up into heaven. But this angel fell being lifted up with pride. And Paul tells Timothy about that. Don't choose an elder who's a novice. Don't choose a man to be in leadership that's a novice. Lest he be lifted up with pride, fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So we recognize that the devil himself was lifted up with pride and fell. Though he was created perfect, his choice was to rebel against God. And he said, I will be like the Most High God. Now that's quite a statement when you were created by him uh, to think I will be like him. First of all, sir, you cannot create anything. Secondly, you do not know everything. Second, thirdly, you, have no, you do not have all power, and yet you think you will be like the one who gave you life. So this has been the battle that's gone on. We saw also with the zillions of angels <coughs> that were created, among them Satan led, according to the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, one-third of that host. How many uh, countless billions? Uh, we do not know, but he led one-third of that host in rebellion against God. Revelation, chapter 12, tells us that. And so we have this uh, multitude of demonic beings that are, uh, were, were given access to the earth. In the early years of their access to the earth, just prior to the Mosaic flood, all of them apparently were, were in the heavens and on the earth, all the demons and all the good angels. But somewhere along the line, these angels kept not their first estate. Now, I believe that hap happens to do with uh, the seed of Seth and the seed of the woman 
and, and all of that. They kept not their first estate. And in the process, God locked a multitude of those demons away. So not all the demons that are available are on the earth. Many of them, many, and we do not know the, uh, the percentages, but many of them are locked in what's called Tartarus, a holding place, the bottomless pit. And we know that one day that bottomless pit will be released by God uh, in the middle of the tribulation period. He gives Satan the ability to release those demons, and out they come from the bottomless pit, and that's part of the horrible torment for men upon the earth. These beings will so infect men that men will beg to die. And God says they will not be able to. It's a frightening aspect to think about. At any rate, there are many demons still active in the world and still uh, were present during the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. All you need to look is at Legion, uh, uh, 2,000 some odd angels in, uh, in uh, this one man called Legion. An incredible, incredible thought. Uh, but the Lord Jesus constantly, wherever he went, casting out demons, demons that had um, uh, come to possess unregenerated people. Now, in the process of this, Satan now, right from the beginning, remember, uh, right from the beginning of his fall, he begins the process of attacking God's creation. And, and he begins the process by attacking what we would call God's uh, shining glory, man. God created man in his own image and after his own likeness. Now, what was the purpose of that? Well, let's look at a couple uh, verses pertaining to man and man's purpose. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. He created man in his own image and his own likeness. What a, what a glory that was. He gave man life and created him in his own image and likeness. We're in the book of Genesis. Turn with me to chapter 1 and verse 26, please. These verses are known to you. I'm just kind of highlighting here. In Genesis 1, 26, and God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fall of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him, him he him, male and female created he them. So God created man in his, after his own image and his own likeness with the capability of thought. That is, man was created also with uh, e uh, intellect, emotion, and will. Imagine Adam named all the animals. We're not told exactly uh, what that was like, except he named them. Whenever Adam named them, that's the name of them. How did he come up with the term dog? You know, is that what the first thing was called? Was it called canine? Elephant? Where did these names come from? And God gave uh, Adam the intellect to name all of the animals. When I see it, I'm going to say, how did you come up with platypus? I want to know that. But think about that. It's just full of wisdom and knowledge. Not complete, 
Only God is complete with wisdom and knowledge. But man had intellect, emotion, and will. And then we read in verse 26, he was given dominion over all, over all God's creation. It does not say he was given dominion over angelic beings, but he was given God uh, over all God's physical creation here on earth, the visible things. So God said, you have dominion over them. Then, uh, notice he, what he was to do. He was to control all creation. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the earth and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he's, he's given <coughs> a control. He's dominion, control over everything. And then he was created to have pure fellowship with God. I cannot imagine what that must have been like. Pure fellowship with the living God. He had a personal, face-to-face -face fellowship with God in the garden. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse, um, look at verse 15 just for a moment, please. Genesis 2, 15. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof it. For in the day you eat thereof you shall surely die. So man is face-to-face -face directions with God. God tells him specifically what he wants. And apparently, throughout the time in that garden, throughout the entire time in that garden, God met with man. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Again, I don't want to take this further than the scriptures give us, but we're just trying to think this through a little bit. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But recognize that God was in the garden with them, communicating with them. So he was given, man was given pure fellowship with God, a communion, a union. And he dialogued face to face with his creator. It must have been just a, an amazing, amazing thing. But Satan is on the scene and God allows man to be tested. God allows man to be tested. The testing of your faith works patience. The testing of your faith causes you to grow. And God allows the man to be tested according to his uh, perfect will. Remember man was told this one tree out of all the trees there's this one tree there, and you're not to touch that tree. Now, I don't know uh, how spectacular this tree is, because when you, you can read about it several places in the scriptures, and I don't want to get off on that because there's a lot. I do not know exactly what this tree is about. I do n I've not read anything from anyone who completely knows everything about it. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What kind of tree? Well, we call it an apple tree. 
I don't know what it was. It was some kind of tree bearing some kind of fruit. But we recognize that that's, God said, of everything in this garden. Now, we have a garden. If, if my calculations are right, there was at least 10,000 square miles of land there. He names the Euphrates River and at least 10,000 square miles of land there. And all of the trees in it and all the animals in that area. And God said, don't touch this one. For those of us who've had children, you know what that's like. You can go everywhere in this yard, but don't go there near that line. Before you know it, there'll be 10 toes leaning on the line, right? Before you know it. God said, of everything, this is the one that you're not supposed to touch. So Satan, somehow, on the scene, God allows, and the woman is there. Now, why is she there near the tree? I do not know that. I don't want to make this some theology out there. But why is she there? Why, why is she near this tree? I do not know. But the, the question is asked in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, uh, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman. So there is this serpent on the scene. Now we mentioned last time we were together, we, we cannot even comprehend what this serpent was like. Was it a long skinny thing that slimes along the ground, you know, slithers? Uh, was it what they call a sidewinder? Uh, was it, uh, was it a, a black mamba? What kind of serpent? Well, we don't know that. But apparently it had legs to it. Apparently it had legs because God says from now on you're going to crawl in the dust. So what kind of animal did it, did it look like a dog perhaps? Uh, did it look something like a cat with four legs? I do not know that, but it was beautiful, apparently. And the woman, uh, it spoke with the woman, and the woman responded to this thing, which is amazing in and of itself. But recognize, uh, this, this serpent, this animal that was there, was actually Satan himself. And we do not know that necessarily until we get into the New Testament, and God tells us. It was the devil, the serpent himself. But when we're looking at this, we read about Satan and his accusations against God. And notice the first thing he, he says to the woman, Yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. One of his first objectives right out of the chute here in his temptation of the woman is to get her to question the word of God. Is that what God said? And I'll submit to you that's what uh, he is doing in this world today. He started um, eight to 10,000 years ago and he continues on. I have met people, and I don't know if you have, but I have met people and said, that's not God's word. That's just a whole bunch of men in their opinion. When I go to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll say to me, that's, I don't believe that's God's word. Men wrote the Bible. Satan's still working. Satan's still working, confusing 
convincing men to question God, whether this is God's word or not. The second thing, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, literally everything, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. We discussed this again last week that God did not tell that to Adam necessarily. We don't have that recorded. He might have mentioned that to Eve, but don't even touch it. Now, I can imagine Eve must, Adam must have told Eve, listen, don't, don't even touch that thing. Stay far away from that tree. Uh, we, don't not, we do not want to come under the judgment of God for touching it. But notice he says uh, in verse uh, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. He said, God is a liar. He said, God is a liar. As a matter of fact, not only did he lie to you, but he knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. That's what <coughs> Satan wanted, is it not? So he says, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Well, he was partially correct there partially correct. But he was trying to convince this woman that she would be just like God. She would be unequal with God. And God knows this, so God is trying to keep you old-fashioned and ignorant. God's trying to keep you. He doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to take his position. He wants to keep you ignorant. Then, notice... And when, when the woman saw that the tree was good uh, for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. This reminds me, we will not go back there. Remember Joshua, uh, when Joshua invaded and conquered some of the land, he told, uh, God told uh, Israel, don't take any of this stuff. Don't touch it, don't take it, stay away from it, destroy everything. And one of Joshua's soldiers took uh, a Babylonian garment and some, uh, some coinage, some gold and some silver, and he hid it in his tent. And Israel was defeated in the next battle, and Joshua was questioning why. And uh, the Lord sent uh, an angel sent by the Lord to Joshua said, Get up off your face. There's sin in the camp. Go take care of that. You have a job to do. And of course, when they came to Achan's tent, they found it was him. And what did Achan say? He said, I saw it, I coveted it, and I took it. And that's what went on here. It looked good. I saw it. I looked good. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of struggles in my life with that. Have you? Have not, haven't you? You see something, and you start whipping it up in your cranium. How can I get that thing? And I think, and I want to be careful about this, I think Satan is the head of credit cards. Because <laughs> you can get just about anything you want. Right? You can put that baby down. 600 months. I have a son. 
uh, that uh, told me that uh, he's in the car business, and he says some men walk out of there with $900 a month car payments. $900 a month car payments. You can buy a car for 50 bucks that will get you there the same, you know, the same, maybe not as luxurious, but what? Because our flesh desires the things of the world. Our flesh wants that stuff. And Satan presented this, uh, this, this alternative to this woman, contrary to God's word, and she took it and she ate it. Now again, we're recapping, right? Taking too much time, I realize, but we want to think about this. And so as we're moving through this, we recognize that ultimately the devil was looking for that woman to worship him. Ultimately, that's what he was looking for, to take man from the worship of God and turn mankind to the worship of him. And that's where the conflict is going to come in now. This is where the battle takes place. Now, we know that uh, the woman was deceived, and we see that from the New Testament. The woman was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. The book of Timothy tells us that. The woman being deceived was in the transgression, but Adam was not deceived. That is, he did not fall for what the devil said. She bought it, hook, line, and sinker. She must have really thought that this would really happen. But Adam took of the fruit, and he ate thereof, knowing the consequences of it. Now, could he know the complete consequences? I do not believe so, because God lays them out for him just a little bit later on. But Adam ate of that fruit, knowing the consequences. This is rebellion against God. He was created with intellect, emotion, and will, and he chose. He was not deceived. He chose to sin against God. Now, we won't get into what happens with the woman and so forth. I just want to pick it up from there. Remember that they heard the voice of God walking in the, um, in the garden, and they hid themselves. They had sewed together fig leaves for themselves. And it's interesting that they, they used their own works to cover their own body. God had something else in mind, and he was going to take care of that a little bit later on. But and they were trying to hide from God. And, of course, the Lord knew where they were, and the Lord calls out to Adam and Eve. And what's the first thing that happens? Well, the woman, uh, the man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent, and the blame game continues down even to our generations, always looking to blame someone for my sin. And the world does that, do they not? A man will go in and murder a bunch of people, and they say it's because he had a bad home life. It's because he was not brought up with enough money. It's because his father hit him. That's why he killed an entire family with women and children, because his father beat him. Men, men always look for an excuse. It's the environment. It's my household. It's... It, they rebel against God, and we see that. Pastor Rob mentioned that in, in the great millennial kingdom, that uh, in the millennial kingdom there will be no Satan. It, there'll be a, he'll be locked away. There'll be a perfect environment, 
just like unto the Garden of Eden, Christ will be seated on the throne in Jerusalem, and man will still rebel against God. Because, as was mentioned, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, know what he says. So we have the man falling. Now we have the Lord and his sovereign judgment of what has gone on. What, what was Satan? Well, we read from John chapter 8, and we took some time to look at that, but we read from John chapter 8 that the serpent, God says, you are of your father, he's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He lied to the woman, he's lying to you, she bought it, and you're buying it, essentially. The, the lies of Satan. But let's look up quickly, if we can, please. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is concerned about the church at Corinth. He was always concerned about the church at Corinth. Uh, it was a continual concern of his because of their spiritual state. But I want you to see what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, look with me, please. Um, that's not where I want you to go. So you stay there one second and I'll find the right place. It's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Those are great passages in 1 Corinthians, but not the right one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's pick it up um, starting in verse 1. Paul says, uh, I would to God that you should bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. He says, I'm, Paul is going to, um, Paul's trying to encourage them. And of course, they were saying, Paul, Paul is a secondary apostle. He's a Johnny-come-lately, you know, oh, we wish that we had one of the great ones like Peter or James or John, but we're stuck with this apostle, Paul. And Paul says, you think I'm foolish, bear with me a little bit with this. He says, verse 2, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you unto one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He said, I, I was responsible for telling you about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, uh, you are you are in a, in a, in a like a relation, a husband and wife relationship with him. Uh, you're, I've espoused you to him. You're part of the bride of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. And I, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, as a, a perfect bride for him. He says in verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his craftiness or simplicity, so your minds should also be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Paul said, as the serpent, the term beguiled here has to do with uh, duped craftiness. Uh, he convinced her. It was a uh, seduction in his convincing of her. As the serpent beguiled Eve, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity, the single-heartedness to Christ. And that is the battle for New Testament Christians. 
We have to recognize that as Satan did that with Eve, he's doing that with Christians today. It's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. At least Solomon got that right in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan is still trying to pull people away from Christ. And these are New Testament born-again believers. How's he doing that? He, he's taking the single-heartedness, my devotion to Christ, he wants to take that and pull that away from Christ. So I start to begin to be lovers of our own selves. In the last days, perilous times shall come, men shall be lovers of their own selves. He wants me to love myself more than I love him. He wants me to set my affection on things below, not on things above. He wants me to love the world more than I love him. He wants me to be more involved in the world than I am in my local assembly. That has gone on from the beginning of time, and Satan is still working through that, and Paul warns these first century Christians, and here we are 2,000 years later, and the warning is still available to us. Be careful. Be careful. Now, we also need to be careful of this that I can't blame the devil when I do that. You can't blame him, right? Why? God cannot be tempted with sin, neither will he tempt any man with sin. But every man is drawn away of his own lusts. So though the devil is there presenting the bait, you don't have to take it. You don't have to fall for it. You don't have to bite the hook. He only presents it. And when you take your eyes off the Lord, when you take your mind away from spiritual things, you'll leap at the hook every time. Why? Because we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed when the devil presents those. So the devil is going to present things down through the generations, and it's up to the believers to refrain from that. No, God has said. If the woman had said, God said, and that's what I'm living by. If the man had said, God said, and I'm not eating of that apple, then we might have a little bit different constructed area of man falling. Who would have fell then? The next man created, <laughs> right? Because God had a purpose and a, a sovereign plan to work through all this. Now, what happened? Well, they sowed fig leaves. They sowed fig leaves together. Head back with me to the book of Genesis, if you could, please. Right back there. Man sowed fig leaves together to cover himself because he was naked and afraid. Now his sin shone through, if you would. His sin was shining through. Man sewed fig leaves together. But what I'd like you to notice, if you could please, <clears throat> we're in the book of Genesis again. They sewed fig leaves together to hide from the Lord, but the Lord, pick it up please if you would, in Genesis chapter 3 and in uh, verse uh, 21, Genesis 3, 21. For Adam also and for his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So we have this beautiful picture, if you would, 
of, of God slaying an innocent to cover a guilty. He slays an innocent to cover a guilty. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. And again, we, we don't want to go too far with this, but God knew right from the beginning what he was going to do. I would remind you of that. Turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Right from the beginning, God knew what he was going to do. And we're going to see that as we progress through this. But right from the beginning, the Lord knew the end from the beginning. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, look if you would please at verse 18. <clears throat> For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life received by tradition from the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now here's the verse I'm interested in. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Right from the beginning. God laid a temporary covering on his first created people. And that covering was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a temporary covering. He's going to com come and provide the permanent covering. Just like sacrifice was a temporary stay of judgment for the nation of Israel. When they brought a sacrifice to the Lord... It gave them a temporary, uh, a temporary covering from judgment. That is, from uh, honoring, uh, honoring the Lord. Kept the nations round about from inv invasion. It kept God's divine judgment on them away if they if they brought sacrifice, believing God's word. But at this point in Genesis chapter one, God closed these people with a temporary covering. Why? Because the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Christ's substitutionary atonement was actually the covering for these people. Just like it was for any Old Testament person who believed the word of God. There was a substitutionary atonement. A wonderful, wonderful picture. So Satan comes, but God now lets... And I've got to stop here. But God lets Adam and Eve know there's going to be a, a conflict. And that conflict is going to start, and this is where we'll pick it up next time we get together, between her seed and his seed, Satan. The seed of the woman would eventually come down to the Christ child, to Messiah, Mashiach, the Savior. So through the seed of the woman would come down to, to Messiah. But he says to Satan, your seed. Now we know, we know that angels cannot produce seed. They're, they're neither married nor given in marriage, uh, we read uh, when the Lord Jesus spoke. So they can't produce seed. They can't produce children. But from here on, when you read about someone who is uh, given over to satanic, uh, uh, to satanic, uh, the family of Satan, if you would. They're usually known as children of the devil. Children of the devil. And so we're going to have this continual battle 
of demonic and satanic um, disruption with the seed of the woman. And that's going to be our advance. Now, we're going to be leaving Dr. Shaw. We're kind of paralleling Dr. Shaw's book a little bit, but pretty soon we're going to branch away from his book, and we're going to look at a, a whole lot of New Testament scripture that he didn't necessarily get into fully about uh, the battle of the ages. And when we ask what on earth is going on, we should know. We should know what's going on. We should, we should fully recognize what's happening around about us. It's not some kind of variance. It's not something that's, oh, who can believe this? Well, we can believe it. Why? Because God said it would happen. God said these things would come to pass. And he told his New Testament church about it. And we need to take heed to it. And he told us not only what's going to happen in the future, uh, right up to, up to the end, but how we get the victory through it all. And the victory, of course, comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers against the rules of darkness of this present world. There's a battle going on, but how do you do it? How do you live in this world? How can I get through this without sinning? Well, you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. <coughs> For a New Testament Christian, I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now I need to walk in Him. I'm, I'm bound. I'm going to heaven. I'm secure. I'm locked in there. Praise the Lord. I'm a child of the King. But until I'm in His presence, I have Him dwelling in me, giving me strength to walk day by day in this present evil world. And it's all laid out for us, and that's what we'll look at. So I, I went too far back, I know that, but I want to bring us up to speed. So the next time we get together, we're going to pick it right up. The battle, the conflict of the ages is between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for revealed truth that you've given us. And Lord, as we look at the world round about us, and we see uh, every leading university in the world questions creation, they, they, they push it aside as, as something that's a fanciful idea. And yet you have said that you are the creator. The second person of the triune Godhead, the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, created everything by his spoken word. But Father, we recognize the world scoffs at you. As we speak about uh, your return to earth one day to judge the living and the dead, the world says, where is the promise of his coming? Father, we, we trust your word. We believe your word. And though the world may scoff, and though it may turn its, even its sights on us as Christians, we know that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have God himself dwelling in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, help us to recognize that we can stand strong in you, that we can honor you, and though uh, in this body there may come many, many challenges, yet, Father, we know that uh, your strength is made perfect in weakness. Father, help us to walk with you and honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.